In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick and mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today we have a very special guest with us, Jim Donnelly, co-founder and CEO from Restore. Jim, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. So before we get started, why don't you walk us through, you have have such a great trajectory of what you've done in your career and, and also what you've built at Restore so far from all the reading that I've done. But we'd love to just kind of hear from you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit how, how you got started with Restore. Sure. So, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. I started my first company in grad school 30 years ago, but um, that was a very different company, not in the retail space. I did have a corporate career at places like Coca-Cola and Kraft Foods, where I was a brand manager developing brands internationally, managing seminal brands like Cool Whip and Jell-O Pudding. So I've always sort of been in the marketing space, been very concerned about um, you know, brand propositions and things like that. So, so for sort of fast forward past my corporate career, I started an internet company. Um, I sold that internet company after we won a Webby award for the top travel site in the U S and then that afforded me the ability to do anything that I wanted to do. And so one of the first things I did was start to do some very high end real estate. And so very experiential, you know, I I now own the highest end health club in North Carolina, sort of the Equinox equivalent in North Carolina. Um, So by the way, that's a very experiential business. You've got to create an environment that people like. We started a men's grooming lounge. um, And I would actually say that that retail outlet that was our first location for Emerson Joseph is probably the coolest retail space in America in terms of what I've seen. So once again, it was all about creating this experience, creating something that was higher level than what people were used to, exceeding their expectations. Um, So once again, fast forward, I've always tried to do things I was interested in, and, and that's a little bit tied to my life. And so at 46, six years ago, I was starting to feel the pain of many years of athletics, um, having been in the military. I had cryotherapy recommended to me by a friend, and I thought, ah, that's kind of screwy, getting in a cold chamber for three minutes. But I went and tried it, and I felt better immediately. But what struck me was I hated everything else about the experience. I hated the retail environment. I hated the location. I actually had a distaste for the people. They literally talked to me about how much money they were making as opposed to why they were doing this and how it was helping me. And then it was overpriced as well. It was, it was, it was something that I loved, but I was like, I, I, I'm not going to pay $70 for three minutes at a time. It's just not, doesn't make sense. And so I had a buddy, Steve Welch, who's my, my co-founder and partner at Restore. And uh, we went and grabbed some coffee and said, hey, what do you think? And, and we came out of that, that session saying, we're going to do this. We're going to make it a better experience. We're going to do things totally different, differently. And so we went and opened our first location in a Whole Foods shopping center. So the first thing, we obviously moved to a Class A space. 
We're going to make the um, sort of interior of our space much more interesting and desirable. Um, and we, we said from the beginning, we're going to make it open, transparent, and social. And throw, throw a little bit of fun on there. And, and by the way, I think, you know, fun, transparent, and social should apply to most retail experiences right now. You should be very clear about, you know, what you're doing for people and why. And when they have questions, you, you know, shouldn't hesitate to answer them in the right way, i.e. transparent. Social, I think anything that has community built around it is going to always tend to work better. You're going to have a better viral coefficient. And then fun, um, people have choices. And, and so they're going to gravitate towards the things that provide some sense of enjoyment or certainly help provide some value in their life. And so long story short, we continue to iterate with Restore, um, added modalities, created a, a, con a you know sort of a brand construct around um, hyper-wellness, our mission became to make hyper-wellness accessible and affordable for everyone in the world, starting in the U.S., and um, we're, we're up to 100 locations now, and we'll open a couple locations a week for the rest of the year, and, and then next year, double that. That is awesome. That is awesome. As you were kind of starting the company, again, you have a lot of experience with, with different, different brands and, and being in, in, in different, different great companies, if you will. What was the hardest part, part about starting you know, a Restore? I think everybody goes through this, you know, you, I had some experiential experience in terms of experiential retail, but it, it just having the capital to do it. Um, you know, we, we did not want to create a one-off location that wasn't interesting to me. We set out from day one saying, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this in a big way. We're going to, um, do something that's meaningful for a large number of people and quote unquote meaningful for society. So, so literally when you're looking at that, the first question that pops into mind, how do you secure the capital to go doing it in a meaningful way? And, and um, we were lucky enough to have access to some personal capital having sold businesses and, and been successful in the past, but that'll take you so far. If you really want to blow something out nationally, that's a, that's a ton of money and, and you got to have a strategy for that. So that was probably the first sort of issue we faced. And we had an idea of how we were going to do it. And that idea has obviously come to life. And, and I think we've done exactly what we set out to do. Um, the, the other stuff was pretty easy, like creating a, a great experience, having a good eye for what the space should look like and feel like having a good eye for what the brand proposition should be. I mean, that was kind of in my wheelhouse and, and, and I don't think any of that was particularly daunting, but figuring out like, how are we going to make this big was probably the thing we talked about the most in the beginning. Absolutely. And I have, I have some follow-up questions to that, but, but before we get to that, I'd love to learn what are some of the kind of important lessons that you learned uh, while marketing for, for, for some of the companies that you worked with before were really are renowned brands in the world. How did that help you kind of build Restore? Well, a, a couple of ways. I do think being at a pedigree brand like a Coca-Cola, Kraft Foods, a Citibank, there is something that just happens where you internalize lessons. And being around the best marketers in the world, you do wake up one day and you are naturally a better marketer. You naturally understand what it takes to create a great brand. And I don't think there's any replacement for that. There's no shortcut. You know, a lot of people today want to go straight from A to B really quickly. There are some things that just come with iterating and being around smart people that are the best at what they do. So that was number one. Um, the second thing I would say is that 
to draw lessons from the Coca-Colas and the Citibanks is a little difficult. You know, these are brands that have relatively unlimited budgets. So what I have learned transitioning to being an entrepreneur is my favorite phrase is a lack of options provides amazing clarity. And so when you're at Coca-Cola, everything's an option. You can go hire the best PR firm, the best marketing agencies. You can go spend a, a shit ton of money on all the traditional marketing stuff. When you open a restore, if you're rational, most of that stuff's off the table. And by the way, most of the stuff should be off the table. Like for instance, if you wanted to go do radio campaigns for your one location in Austin, Texas, it's completely inefficient and not a good idea. You, you've got to have a notion of scale. You'd probably have to have 10 locations around Austin. The interesting thing is today we can do that. We have that scale. And so in the beginning, it was like, we only have a few options. We did a lot of what we called street activation kind of stuff, partnerships with fitness boutiques and chiropractors and things like that to get people through the door. And we knew right away, let's not waste our time on the traditional marketing stuff because it's, it's, it's not worth it. We did put a lot of work into activating our customers, getting them to tell their friends. We created a construct for them. We made them feel like they were a part of this new thing, this special thing, this growing thing. And they became our, our sort of brand ambassadors and brought people through the door. And, and a lot of people say, oh, that's that sounds easy. It's, it's actually not. There's a science to creating brand ambassadors and, and you know zealous customers. And then, like I said, a lot of that street activation stuff. But, you know, we have a net promoter score at Restore of 90. And so 90 as a net promoter score is off the charts for any retail concept. I mean, an Apple store is in the 70s for perspective. A primary care physician's office is actually a negative net promoter score. And so when, when you have a 90 net promoter score, it means your customers are telling a lot of people and, and they're doing the work for you. What was kind of the signal to say, okay, okay, Jim, now you're ready to go scale this and add more locations? Yeah, so in the beginning, we, we opened four locations after that first one pretty quickly. We did a lot of A-B testing, so we tested different areas around demographics, population density, income, and things like that, some psychographic stuff. And what we found is it was really hard to break the Restore model. And so the, the insight for Restore is we're lucky in that we have a product that applies to the vast majority of the population. So 70% of the population um, has a chronic condition. We, in essence, provide relief from many of those chronic conditions. So we, we do have a very large base of business. But we had two aha moments. So the first aha moment was we thought we were opening something for sports recovery and performance as, a, as the main driver. What we found was that the chronic conditions was the bigger driver. And the chronic conditions business is a way, way bigger business than sports performance. So what we found was that everybody was coming in. Our customers are 50-50, male and female. Our average age is 40, but we have a 25-year distribution above and below. So I always say we have as many 15-year-old boys as 65-year-old grandmothers. And most, <laughs> you know, very few retail businesses can say that. So, so that was the first aha moment. The second aha moment for us was when we opened in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And so when, when you're doing a proactive health and wellness company like Restore, you, you have a pretty good sense it's going to work in Austin, Texas. It's a healthy community. It's relatively progressive around health and wellness. But when it starts to work in places like Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Little Rock, Virginia Beach, Rogers, Arkansas, Wichita, Kansas, 
And by the way, also works in River Oaks in Houston, New York City, you know, Southern California. You, you have something that's pretty special as a retail concept. So a lot of, a lot of concepts work. And Equinox works in a gateway city. I'm not sure an Equinox works in a in a Wichita, Kansas. And, and by the way, that's not a knock on Wichita, Lancaster. You know, I think the people there are pretty smart, common sense people. And, and sometimes they look at, at some of these concepts and say 150 bucks to go work out at a health club. No, thank you. You know, uh, 150 bucks for to get my hair done. You know, no, thank you. You know, $8 for a, a, a gallon of organic milk. No, thank you. I kind of think they're onto something. And this notion of democratization and re- at Restore, where we make it affordable and accessible, I think is a, it's, it's almost like a universal thing. Like no one's ever going to uh, disagree with the idea that making something universally affordable and attainable and accessible is a bad idea. As you're explaining this, I, I, I think what's, what's interesting is you really are taking kind of a different approach to wellness and health. What, what do you think is so unique about Restore versus, you know, other kind of similar type concepts that are out there? Once again, there there's some parts to it that are different in the health and wellness space. I mean, typically in the health and wellness space, you don't use the words fun, you know, social and transparent. So I, I think just starting from a different place is important. And then you have to translate those words into a retail experience. That's not trivial, not totally easy. And then having a retail concept built around both medical and non-medical services, you know, people think that's easy, but we've spent millions of dollars creating a medical infrastructure that works on a retail level. And I've had lots of people say, hey, I want to try to do what you do. And I'm like, good luck. You know, corporate practice of medicine and other things like that that regulate these, these services we do make it really hard. So we had the luxury of being able to spend millions of dollars to create that infrastructure. There is no half step in this business. You have to do all the foundational behind the scenes things before you can credibly go out to the market. And so there are some retail concepts that don't require a lot of things like that. Um, I happen to like the fact that what we do is complex and has a lot of nuance to it because then being thoughtful and, and smart about it makes a big difference. And I do think we've done it better than anybody in the country. Absolutely. And I love your kind of your, your brand promises, if you will, of, you know, begin being fun, transparent. What makes people have that wow, wow moment when they're kind of walking out of your, of your locations? Well, I mean, one of the principles of hyper wellness, which is the category we created, is that you always walk out feeling better than when you walked in. And that's, generally speaking, a relatively good way to create customer loyalty, customer retention, repeat visits. I mean, by the way, I would say that principle applies to every relationship. You know, if if your girlfriend walks out of every interaction with you and says, you know, I feel better than before I had the interaction with my boyfriend or, you know, like there's never anybody that's going to say that's a bad construct for a business. That's the number one principle around hyper wellness. You have to walk out feeling better than you walked in. And by the way, some of it's subtle. Um, some of it's dramatic. If, if you have, uh, you know, if you have uh, rheumatoid arthritis and you come in and you do two to three of our services and walk out and you're not in pain when you were in pain when you walked in, that's dramatic. Some of the other things like an IV, you know, 80% of the population walks around in a dehydrated state. And so by simply hydrating, 
you do make people feel better. It's a little more subtle than if you got in a negative 260 degree cold chamber, but nonetheless, you do feel better. And, and I do think that's the secret. And then there's that sort of next level of customer service. How does the place smell? How did the music hit me? Was I greeted by my first name? Did the person smile at the front desk? You know, I always tell this story about Chick-fil-A where a consultant went in to tell them how to do things better. And um, the consultant trying to the little chit chat, build rapport with the CEO said, you know, I'm really impressed by the way you um, trained everybody to smile. And the CEO immediately flies off the handle and said, you're an idiot. Like you can't train people to smile. We go find people that naturally know how to smile that naturally make people feel good. We don't train that. That's And so, and I think Restore certainly goes out of their way to find people that fit the culture and understand the mission. And and, and if you're not a mission-based company, I, I think retail is hard. We do have folks that work here that are very passionate about what we do. It's a lifestyle for them. They use the services. So when they're talking to someone and saying, hey, you need to get naked now, you need to get into a chamber. By the way, we're going to stick a needle in your arm. You know, these are not, no one woke up and said, I want a needle in my arm today. No one woke up and said, I want to be in negative 260 degrees. So it takes a special person to make people feel good about that. As you kind of have been on this adventure, what, what sort of technologies have been kind of critical in building up a restore? Yeah. So you can put technology in a bunch of buckets. Um, you know, we, we certainly always use, you know, enterprise level things like Salesforce so that our marketing is better. Internally, we use all kinds of project management stuff that we customize for us to make sure we're, you know, we're doing things efficiently and smartly across the country and within our corporate headquarters. You know, we have 3,000, close to 3,000 um, employees in the Restore system. Yeah, so, so from a technology perspective, um, once again, on the marketing side, we look at things like Salesforce and sort of best of breed, things that exist today that we can use. And and by the way, in order to be able to afford Salesforce and integrate Salesforce, you do have to have scale and you have to have a level of sophistication to integrate it. We do use enterprise level software for every process within Restore. And once again, that's a byproduct of having scale and having a full tech team and that sort of thing. Did you do that from the beginning uh, or, or was this kind of a migration to more enterprise software? Yeah, I, I, that goes back to, once again, that, that construct I always use of a lack of options provides clarity. I think we definitely gravitated towards things that, uh, like that sooner than others might have. But, but you, you do have to sort of look at that as you scale. So always, my, my advice to people is always stay ahead of it, but also being premature has downsides too and it's expensive and and then on, on, on the other technology front we are building some very proprietary things so for instance we now uh, manufacture our own cryotherapy chambers they are the best in the world they provide the best efficacy they're the prettiest they have the best safety features unambiguously if you go into a record restore cryotherapy chamber you're not going to ever want to go into any other one. And then we're building some technology that will help our customers see their short-term outcomes and then extrapolate that out to long-term health benefits. And so, um, you know, we have the benefit of helping people feel good right away, but we also have this longer-term promise of if you keep doing that on a day-to-day -day basis, this does, in fact, help 
your health in a bigger way over the long term. So those they were building technology around making that more obvious to people and, and making it fun to participate in, in, in the dynamic. That That's our biggest priority right now as a company outside of opening a bunch of locations. It's building a customer experience on a technology platform that is unlike anything in the health and wellness space. And as you've been doing this, I, I know you've look, looked at it. Well, you've worked with a lot of great brands. You also probably now have an eye for what, what great brands do and you've, you've created a great brand. What are some of your most favorite in-location experiences that you look at kind of outside of, of course, Restore, which I know you, you love? But <laughs> You, you know, it, it kind of comes and goes. I mean, the easy answer is you look at some Apple stores and all that. I've actually found the experience in Apple stores to be pretty crappy lately. I mean, number one, I don't think they've really figured out how to operate in a COVID, post-COVID world. Like, you know, no offense, but I don't want to stand in a line, you know, and wait for 30 minutes to go into a space and then have to wait 30 more minutes to get an associate and you know, things like that. I, I just, yes, it looks pretty, but I just don't think they've navigated it particularly well. And I, I to be quite frank, I think when retail brands like that sort of, I don't want to say lose their way, because it's hard to say they've lost their way. They're probably still the highest dollar per retail experience in the world. But that does breed hubris and hubris at some point does lead to, you know what, I'm not messing with that anymore. In terms of other retail experiences that I've really enjoyed, I'll just give you a local one. I, I just took my kids to get dive certified at a place called Dive World Austin. The last place in the world you'd expect the a, a great consumer experience. You, you certainly expect the, the dive certification and getting in the water to be pretty exceptional. But but I can honestly say that everything about their experience, the second time we came in, they knew all of our names. We actually had a special requirement for some private training because we were leaving for the Caribbean and didn't have time to go through the normal process. They were incredibly proactive. They thought about things that we didn't even think about. They accommodated our special requests. There were things like we're going out to the dive site. We needed to take equipment. My wife couldn't come to try on her stuff so they would give me two wetsuits and say don't worry about it we're only going to charge you for one let her go try on the two i could go on and on it was and and, and the thing that, that totally blew me away is everybody there was so enthusiastic and felt like they wanted to be there and i think i think that is once again they're a passion business everybody there loves to be in the water and and they love to sort of spread the gospel but just because that's true doesn't mean they're they're going to provide a great customer experience but here is this little dive shop and every employee was fantastic everything about the experience was fantastic they accommodated us in every way and um you know my wife and i actually talked about it multiple times and it's like golly number one we need to hire a couple of those people number two <laughs> i got to go talk to the owner of that place and 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 figure out how they're doing some of that and um and i say that half jokingly because i think we do a pretty good job of that but uh, and, and by the way doing that in one shop versus doing that in a thousand shops across the country is also a different challenge but but you can't do it in a thousand if you can't do it in one and so i i, I did find that to be a pretty good experience what advice would you have for kind of smaller retailers that are really trying to create that you know, their own brand identity and experiences in their locations. Yeah, you know, once again, don't try and outdo folks in a way that you're not capable of. And that goes back to the lack of options provides clarity. Be authentic. 
do something really well. You know, if you're a small retailer, you're not going to be able to outdo the big retailer in terms of resources and infrastructure and software systems and all that. But you can be you. And if being you is an appealing thing, accentuate that and make sure you create a culture, make sure everything that you do accentuates that culture and make sure it's a culture that you can over the long term maintain. You know, a lot of folks will open up a retail place and they'll do some things in the beginning and they're, they're hard. And three months later, they've already stopped doing them because they're not sustainable. So, you know, once again, pick a few things that you can sustain, pick a few things that are authentic, that you can truly deliver in a way that's unique to you. And, and don't try to be everything to everybody. You know, I'd rather have a business where 20% of the people that walk in the door absolutely love it and the other folks don't, then a business where 80% of the people walk in and just are like, ah, this is okay. You know, you got to have some champions and some zealots. And if if you can't do that, then it's going to be a slow slog. You know, it may be a slow downward death spiral, depending on how bad it is. Yeah, I think uh, some of the things that you said uh, and kind of building up the brand are are critical in the sense of how you thought about the brand and, and what things were important to you. When was a critical time when you said, now is the time to go? I know from the beginning you had an idea of let's go make this big, but when was a critical time when you said, hey, now it's, now it's time to open up franchising? You know, franchising to us was a financial decision. How do you blow things out really quickly? You can go raise $100 million or you can go down the franchising road. By the way, if you do all corporate stores, you have more control. If you do all franchise stores, you can probably open them quickly. So there is no right or wrong answer, by the way. Um, It just happened to be the answer for me. And I also liked franchising because that means every store is going to have a passionate entrepreneur that's looking at it every day and infusing some energy. And I'm a people person. I love passionate, enthusiastic people. So there, there was no moment where we ha- didn't plan to go big with this. I mentioned the two aha moments earlier. That was the validation we needed to take it to the next level. But But even then, we had already started taking steps. There was a reason we were in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and Virginia Beach, and Little Rock. So we had already planned to move forward. But but those those shops working from day one and performing as well as our original stores in Austin was the validation we needed that that took every bit of hesitation out of it. But if if we hadn't thought from day one that we were going to make this big, we wouldn't have done it. You know, I'm kind of at the stage in life where if it isn't big, if it doesn't have the chance to be a generational society changing business, to be quite frank, I'm not interested. Now, 20 years from now, I might want to, you know, find a a sleepy little town where there's some nice weather and open a, you know, open a little specific boutique just so I can talk to people. Um, But that's not where I'm at in life. I want to I want to do bigger things. And. And um, yeah, and by the and by the way, when I say I do, like th- this is not this is a big team. Like we've got some amazing folks, um, and and we've made some mistakes. I mean, we've iterated again and again and again. We didn't just end up where we are today. If you went to our first store and went to our latest store, you'll see there's sort of Restore Vert 1.0 and Restore 2.0. But I do think we've got it pretty tight at this point, and it will, as everything rolls out now, it'll be pretty consistent with where we're at now and there'll be a little less experimentation. 
you know, one of the things that we get asked all the time is, you know, during these COVID days, and hopefully this is the end of the COVID days, and we're kind of getting to this uh, to this new normal. Well, how did you uh, build up Restore so much during this time frame? Like, it was kind of a downturn. Retail stores were, were closing or pausing or whatever the case may be, but you you just, your, your company just grew. How? So I'll separate it in two buckets. There's the store level and then there's the company level. On the store level, we were deemed an essential business. What we're doing as a, as a, a provider of proactive health and wellness, potentially boosting immunity, potentially putting people in a position for their body to handle things a little better. I mean, that's clearly something that's relevant for the time we're in. In fact, my only frustration during this last year has been that more people haven't embraced that notion, control what you can control, get some more sleep, eat a little better, exercise a little more, and then whatever comes your way. By the way, take COVID out and put the flu, put heart disease, cancer, diabetes. It's the exact same approach. And so we're already in that space. We were an essential business. And because our business does as well as it does, people were eager to continue to roll that out. We've actually grown quite significantly during COVID on a store level. From, From a company perspective, I think that was just as important to talk about. We never stopped working from the office. I think we may have had a few days where we stepped back, let's figure it out. But but we've been in the office since last spring. And from a leadership perspective, we said, how can I send people into the stores and tell them that it's safe and then tell all the corporate employees, hey, guys, it's not safe to be around each other. And so from a leadership perspective, we're not going to have a two-tiered system. And I, and I don't, to be quite frank, I don't know how companies are doing that, how they look at their employees who are out on the front lines in the face and say, hey, good job, guys. By the way, I'm sitting in my you know, fancy place by the pool, not putting myself out there. And so ironically, in the beginning, I did worry about it. And I think I had some employees that looked at me like, you've got three heads. What are you doing? This is stupid. But 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 you got to be authentic and you got to be true to yourself. And once again, if you have a business that promotes, you know, proactive health and wellness and, and you, you know, we, we provided IVs for employees, nurses would come in and do vitamin C, vitamin D IVs and things like that. You, you at least have a plan. And and we encouraged all of our employees in the stores, make sure you're doing your vitamin D, vitamin C IVs every week. Let's put some magnesium, zinc. It wasn't like we put our head in the sand and said, cross our fingers. Let's hope no one you know, has a bad outcome. And, and it worked out really well for us. But, but it was a holistic thing from the corporate team and how we worked and how we took care of ourselves to the store employees and giving them specific ways to take care of themselves. And, you know, once again, I think that whether you're a wellness company like we are or a non-wellness company, the same thing applies. You may not have nurses and may not have IVs as a part of your service offering, but there's nothing preventing you from having things for your employees that help them stay healthy proactively. And and then I guess the final thing I will say is that once again, we did a ton of things for first responders, for nurses and doctors working in hospitals. We did become part of the solution. We did do things that weren't just part of our, our making money. They were part of helping our communities. And I will say part of being healthy is being a part of something, being around people, being part of a community that's making a difference. And I think that's just as important in many ways is putting vitamin C and vitamin D and zinc and magnesium in your body. Well, Jim, that was a wealth of information. What did I forget? Anything I forgot to uh, ask you that, that you'd like to share with our listeners? No, I don't think so. Once again, I would, my public service message is 
think of um, proactive health and wellness a little more broadly. It's not just the food you eat. It's not just a little bit of exercise, but it it is sleep. It is being a part of something. It is feeling good about what you're doing in life every day. It is about stressing your body with heat and cold. That's what your body was designed to do. So whether you come in to restore or you go someplace else, I hope everyone takes this sort of last year and a half as a as a a motivation to be healthier and to control the things you can control. I, I I promise you'll be a lot happier. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I I definitely personally took uh, health and wellness uh, really seriously during this time because it, it's exactly what you're saying. It's it's control the things you can, and actually during COVID days, you have the ability to be, have a little bit more time back as you're. You're kind of trying to figure things out. So why not focus on the things that you can to make yourself healthier and create longevity, right? That's right. And, and by the way, you don't have to be perfect. Like, you know, I, I had one of my marketing employees, you know, a few months ago said, hey, Jim, you're the CEO of Restore. You're kind of the standard bearer. You might want to think about losing 20 pounds. And I sort of chuckled and they sort of <laughs> chuckled. But I love the fact that they had the gumption to come and say that to me. And they were right. And I was like, hey. But but I will say health and wellness isn't about being perfect. And you're going to have days where you don't eat well and days when you may not get enough exercise. But that's okay. This isn't perfection. But just do a little more. Do a little better. And um, the little things over a period of time, they, they matter. And that's kind of the approach we pursue at Restore and as, as, as part of this hyper-wellness construct. Absolutely agree. Jim, that was a wealth of information. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know how busy you are. And uh, our listeners are really going to enjoy this. So thank you again for taking the time. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. If there's ever anything I can do to help, let me know. And when you're ready to go into restore and freeze or get warm or do an IV, send us a note and I'll make sure they take good care of you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in this show and detailed show notes, head over to brickandmortarreborn.com.